Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. One of my favorite books of this past fall and of 2022 was The Devil's Advocate by Morris West. I mentioned it briefly in my fall reading recap episode, and today, as promised, I'm devoting a whole episode to it. Before I dive into a summary of the story and the heart of it, I want to share again about how I came upon this book. It was one of those serendipitous bookstore finds. This fall, I found myself in a local used bookstore with a few minutes to spend before picking my daughter up from her preschool. Without any agenda, I decided to browse the shelves. I did not anticipate anything catching my eye. Well, to my surprise, tucked into a high shelf, littered with the mystery thrillers and other popular fiction I tend to shy away from, I spotted a book spine with the familiar imprint of a publisher. I really respect. The book was, of course, The Devil's Advocate. I was not familiar with Morse West. I've never heard of him. But I plucked the book off the shelf, and with the description on the back and the reputation of the publisher, I bought the book. It was an act of trust that paid off better than I hoped. It was one of those impulse buys that I'm so thankful I gave into. So I was not familiar with the term devil's advocate either. The priest at my daughter's preschool had told me a little bit about it last year. It was something I'd, I'd never heard of. And so if you have not heard of it, if you're not familiar with it, you are in good company. So I thought I'd share with you what it is. According to the Oxford Dictionary, the historical definition of the devil's advocate is the popular title of the person appointed by the Roman Catholic Church to challenge proposed beatification or canonization or verification of a miracle. So that is the historic definition of it. Now on to the book. The Devil's Advocate is the story of a dying priest who is sent to a rural Italian village to investigate a man for possible martyrdom and sainthood. The priest and devil's advocate of the title is Monsignor Blaise Meredith. The man under investigation is Giacomo Neroni, who was killed by communists many years before. A local cult has sprung up around Neroni, so these are a group of people who are claiming that he has done miracles and they are devoted to him and praying to him for intercession. The bishop of the area has petitioned to have him canonized, and one of the cardinals of the church asks Meredith to go and investigate for the church to see if Neroni is indeed a possible candidate for a saint. Now, Meredith is dubious of miracles and has grown very cynical. He is dying of stomach cancer, and it's his wish to, to continue on and to do something. So him being sent to the, the small rural town in order to do this investigation is his desire, but it is also at great cost to himself. He goes to the village. It will probably be his last assignment to investigate Neroni. In the town of, I'm going to murder this pronunciation, it's in Italian, but please bear with me. It's called Gemello Minori. And this is not the town that Neroni came from originally, but it was the one where he had settled 
before he died and where the purported miracles take place. While there, Meredith meets a colorful cast of characters, all who have some tie to Neroni and many secrets that they don't wish to share. What follows is a fascinating story of Neroni's life and how it affected those around him even after his death. There is mystery and intrigue as Meredith and the reader come to learn more about Neroni's life. We also are plunged into a story examining the many aspects of human nature. It is heartbreaking at times, and there are moments seething with the ugliness of it, but there are also beautiful moments of Christian love and charity. I wanted to take a minute to talk about some of the characters in the book before I go on to talk about it a little bit more. First of all, Blaze Meredith, who I have mentioned before. He is an observer, but also he's the main character. He watches, he pries, he investigates, but he seldom allows himself to be touched by humanity. He's dying, and he's only at the end of his life is he transformed, in a sense, by Neroni's story and is beginning to see the calling on his life to love others. He has spent a majority of his life devoting it to the church, but he has still not been touched by people and loving people. Next, we have Giacomo Neroni. And one of the things that Meredith is trying to discover, and we are trying to discover along with him as the reader, is who is this man? What is his history? And are these miracles attributed to him true miracles? His past is mysterious. All we know about Neroni is related by other characters, and we only hear his voice near the end from some writings that are finally brought to light. He is British and he's an army deserter during World War II. I forgot to mention that this story takes place post-World War II. It was written, I believe, in the 50s or 60s, somewhere in the mid-20th century. But Neroni's story, the majority of what the reader is told, is strictly what happens around World War II when he comes to this small town. Now, even though Neroni is not from this village, he is devoted to the people there. He saves them from starvation during the Second World War. And there is a local woman named Nina, and I'll talk about her in a minute, who he loves very much. He actually has a child with her, and he wanted to marry her. He's, like I said, very devoted and loves her very much, but he's afraid for her safety because he's a deserter. The communists don't like him. He's just got a very checkered past, a lot going on surrounding his life, and he doesn't want to put her or the child in danger. And he was raised Catholic, we find out later, but he has lived without any faith until he comes to this village, and that's when he comes back to his faith, and it's towards the end of his life. Next, we have Dr. Aldo Meyer, and he is the village doctor. He is a socialist, and he has a deep desire to help people around him. He's tried over and over to help the people in the village. He is constantly rejected and dismissed, and he is trying to help the people adopt medical science, and they are sticking to the ways of miracles, which he thinks are outdated. He is friends with Neroni, but there's a little bit of jealousy. One, because Neroni has succeeded where he was unable to. And the other is because of Nina, who Dr. Meyer is in love with. And she, of course, is in love with Giacomo Neroni. If I am pronouncing that right, 
I may be pronouncing it wrong. I apologize for my pronunciation. Dr. Aldo Meyer is also one of Maroney's betrayers, and he is sadly a man without any faith. He is Jewish by birth, but he has left all faith behind. And when Blaise Meredith comes to this town, he is able to start up a little bit of a friendship of sorts with Dr. Meyer, and they're able to have some conversations. And it's good for both men that they are able to do this. And although Meyer is a betrayer of Neroni, there's also a lot that happens within that, and especially at the end of the book, which is, which is beautiful and, and healing in some ways. But there are not easy answers. I will get into that a little bit later. Next, we have Nina Sanduzzi. She was Neroni's former lover. She is the mother of his son, and she is now Dr. Aldo Meyer's housekeeper. She withholds some vital information on Neroni's life until the end. There are some writings of Neroni's that she has. She is not able to read, so she doesn't know what these writings contain, but she's not willing to give them up. And it's one of the things that the church needs in order to investigate Neroni's life. And without it, they are kind of at a standstill. And she just withholds it until close to the very end. She is a salt of the earth woman, and she's very devoted to her son, Paulo. And Paulo Sandozzi is the next character I'll introduce. He is Neroni's teenage son now. Neroni only knew him as a baby. He lives under the shadow of being Neroni's son and also the scandal of being Neroni's illegitimate son. He is torn between the life Nicholas Black will offer him and a young country girl he is attracted to. So who is Nicholas Black? He is an artist in the town. He is a British expat, and he also grew up Catholic, but has rejected his faith that he grew up with. He is antagonistic towards Christianity. He's one of the most antagonistic characters of, of the people who've lost their faith or unbelieving. He is, as I said, he's a painter. He's a mediocre artist, and he's dependent on the countess of the town named Anne de Sanctus. He is in love with Paulo. Sanduzzi, who's become his model, and wants to lure him to live with him in Rome. He is one of the few characters who never knew Neroni, and his motives are not always clear, and at times they are very sinister, but there is much more to this man than we see at the beginning. Finally, we have Countess Anne de Sanctis, which I mentioned earlier. She is the Countess of the village. Her husband has passed away. She's a widow. She is wealthy, She's the only wealthy person in the town. It is a very impoverished rural town. She is British by birth. She had a very loveless marriage, and she has a lot of thwarted passions and disordered love. During World War II, when the Germans took over the town, she allowed the officers to stay at her villa and was the lover of a few of the officers. She is the patroness of Nicholas Black, and she conspires with him to ruin Neroni's son. She tried to seduce Neroni and also played a part in his death. So I've mentioned all of these characters. I just wanted to give you kind of a brief introduction to them. I know it's a lot of, of characters and there was a lot that I said just then, but that kind of gives you an idea of this full cast of characters, this way that Morris West has of constructing this, this drama with these different personalities and these different motives and the secrets and the intrigue. It's very fascinating. It really heightens the mystery of the story. 
But I want to concentrate towards the end of this episode on two of the characters, which the story, of course, really revolves around. One is not ever present in the book. He is Giacomo Neroni, of course, but he has such a vital part in the book. And the other one is, of course, plays Meredith, who, although he's the main character, really takes a back seat to the story. And is, as I mentioned, he's an observer. He watches. He doesn't partake as much as all of the other characters in life around him. So I want to read two quotes. They're kind of long quotes. And they are from the beginning of the book. And it's when he's about to go out to investigate Neroni. He's about to go to the town. And the cardinal who is sending him out is talking to him. And he's telling him about his pastoral duties and the devotion he needs to have to his fellow man. So I'll read these two quotes and then I'll talk briefly about them. So the cardinal says to him, Part of the problem is that you and I and others like us have been removed too long from pastoral duty. We have lost touch with the people who keep us in touch with God. We have reduced the faith to an intellectual conception, an arid ascent of the will, because we have not seen it working in the lives of common folk. We have lost pity and fear and love. We are the guardians of mysteries, but we have lost the awe of them. We work by canon, not by charity. And then this other quote by him. There is no passion in your life, my son. You have never loved a woman, nor hated a man, nor pitied a child. You have withdrawn yourself too long, and you are a stranger in the human family. You have asked nothing and given nothing. You have never known the dignity of need, nor gratitude for suffering shared. This is your sickness. This is the cross you have fashioned for your own shoulders. This is where your doubts begin and your fears too. Because a man who cannot love his fellows cannot love God either. So Meredith has lived a good life. Good, quote unquote. His life has never been mired in the sin and the struggle that Neroni experiences. But it's also cold and without passion and love. And while Neroni meets his end with courage and conviction, Blaise Meredith is nearing his end with cynicism and fear. These are two very different men, but one will be transformed by the other, and both will affect all of the other characters in this small village. This book has a lot to say about the duty that we have to our fellow men, the love that we should show, the Christian love and charity that we should show to others, and about our devotion to God. And there's just so much to this book. It really gives so many examples about true love and disordered love, and some end very sadly, but others are redeemed. There are examples of selflessness and sacrificial love. So look for both of these things as you read this story. I was just completely immersed in the story of the devil's advocate from the very beginning, and I was fascinated by the complex relationships. There's so many complex relationships in this story and the honest depictions of human nature. Of course, the mystery that's at the heart of the story, it just pulls you in so much. You're you're on your seat trying to figure out who is this man and and is he really a saint and what will happen next and who are these people that were involved in his life and and what are their backstories and what are they hiding and it was just so so well done from what i've read morris west had a bit of a complicated relationship with the church it comes through just a little bit in the writing 
but never did I feel that anything was written with disrespect. On the whole, The Devil's Advocate is a little bit of a difficult read as far as some of the ugliness that it shows in human nature, but it's also a beautiful story showing selfless and sacrificial love and how we are able to bestow those genuinely with a heart devoted to God and to our fellow man. I just loved this book. I know it's a book I will be rereading many times over, and I hope that you will also read it and that you will enjoy it as well. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, if you'd like to connect, you can find me at awellreadlife.com or on Instagram at wellreadbeth. I'd also love to hear from you if you want to share a book with me. If you have a book recommendation, a book that you just can't wait for me to read, you can email me at beth at awellreadlife.com. I hope that you are enjoying the very end of January, all cozy and with a good book and a warm cup of tea. Until next time.